Today on Cinema Oblivia, Chai Young Fat just kills like everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cinema Oblivia, your podcast for discussions on weird, out-of-date, out-of-fashion, hard-to-find, obscure, or otherwise remarkably unremarkable films. I'm your host, James Eldred, and who's joining me today for today's episode? Well, hi, it's Henry Gilbert. Hey. Hey, Henry. Thanks so much for doing this. I think more people listening to this know you than me, let's be honest. <laughs> but in case they don't, can you tell some people about yourself and what you do? Oh, well, sure. I'm uh, a full-time podcaster now. I I used to be in the video games press, uh, but for about the last five years, I've been full-time podcasting on the podcast Talking Simpsons. I dare say we're the best Simpsons podcast around. Uh, Me and my co-host Bob Mackey go through every episode of The Simpsons, one podcast at a time. Uh, We're into season 12 now. And uh, yeah, and on top of that, we do the What a Cartoon podcast, where we go super deep into the history of a different animated series each week. And uh, and yeah, I I also am, uh, despite never talking about it on a podcast all that often about live action uh, cult films, I am also, you know, uh, I was a big movie buff until... Honestly, I, I got a full-time job in video games in 2009, and it literally, I just couldn't be, I couldn't be the video store clerk kind of guy I used to be with how much time video games took up in my life, unfortunately. Yeah, that, that's always a struggle, yeah. I'm a big fan of both Talking Simpsons and What a Cartoon. I, I You know, Talking Simpsons is, yes, the best Simpsons podcast, but I don't think it's your best podcast. I loved uh, What a Cartoon. Oh, thanks. Uh, Thanks. My favorite, like, because you, you you cover, even when I don't know the cartoon, for the most part, I find it really fascinating. And I got to make you guys talk about Savage Dragon one month, and that was fun, too. Yes, um, no, thanks. I mean, I love talking about Eric Larson. What He's such a yeah. weird, interesting guy, and yeah. the, who also was one of my favorite car- comic artists when I was a kid. So Yeah, me too. I actually had lunch with him once. Uh, wow. When I was... I was a member of his mailing list fan club. <laughs> the, wow, that's cool. The Finn Addicts. Um, oh, that's right, right. <laughs> yes, so I was pretty hardcore into that. I, I saw recently you got, I haven't listened to it yet, but you guys did an episode about Capital Critters, and I'm looking forward to li- listening to that because I actually remember that cartoon and yeah. <laughs> watched it when it aired. Yeah. If, if you uh, were not conscious in the year 1992, you have no <laughs> clue that that thing existed because it like after one month, it just didn't exist anymore. And it yeah. was like, gone. It can't be found anywhere. No. Uh, you, if you were our Simpsons fan, you'd know it as a joke on screen once where it was a tombstone gag, but otherwise just lost to time. Yeah, there were two cartoons. I, you're not doing the uh, patron request ones anymore. There were two that I always thought about doing. One of them was that, and the other was Camp Candy because I loved Camp Candy. Uh, oh yes, the, yeah, the I, John Candy cartoon. But 
I've anyway, when I, at some point, someday, someday there was there was only a finite number of cartoons that you could find on the line. Uh, <laughs> but we're not here to talk about cartoons today. Although the movie we are talking about is slightly cartoonish, we are talking about the 1992 Hong Kong action saga Full Contact, directed by Ringo Lam and starring Chow Young Fat. Henry, you wanted to talk about this one in particular. Why did you choose this movie? Oh, yeah. I mean, you you had a great list of topics to pick from. But for me personally, and this is something I never really get to explore all that much. And, and it was just a kind of flash in the pan for me. But I had in high school and junior high, the friends who really got me into anime, like I was a big comic book nerd, loved cartoons, watched every Simpsons. And there's not a lot of us uh, or there weren't a lot of us then in my high school in Florida in the mid nineties. But those guys, one of them, he was super, his name was Will. Uh, he was super into anime, which I had never seen really before uncut. Uh, he introduced me to that. And also through his older brother who had cool tastes, like I'm the older brother. So I didn't have an older brother to show me cool stuff, but <laughs> his older brother showed us all these Hong Kong action films, which in the 90s, you know, people would say, oh, well, did you see this movie? Well, uh, this American movie? Well, the better versions from Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, you just saw the first your first Jackie Chan movie? There's 10 better movies he's made in, in China that you should definitely check out. And so I just became an addict of them. We, we had a Chinatown in our area, and uh, my friend would go and get you know the orange uh, fake tape well not fake but bootleg and i i just watched so many hong kong action films uh in the 90s and uh you know then they kind of just well it's not like they went away but uh well I, you know after 97 they kind of changed some and <laughs> or, or guys went to hollywood and yeah. so uh i just kind of fell off and uh and now to go back and watch this has put me on a bit of a a little binge of just pulling up like uh, with my husband and showing him because he'd never seen this movie before. I was like, oh, have you seen this one? I got to show you uh, X, Y, Z. And I took him through a, through a bunch of other classics. Yeah, I feel like you mentioned anime and video games and comics. And I feel that there's a Venn diagram with comic book fan, video game fan, anime fan, and Hong Kong movie fan. And the center is pretty big. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. There's an overlap of those groups because I'm the same way. Like I... I discovered, you know, I, I when Rumble in the Bronx came out, I loved that movie, and I had friends in high school. I'm in, I'm in Toledo, Ohio, but I still had friends who had, like, bootleg tapes of other ones, and they would talk about them, and then I started getting into that, and then Hard Target came out, which was John Woo's first American film with good old JCVD's on Claude Van Damme, and I feel like that opened the floodgates for the home video market for these movies. Mm-hmm. And then so so many John Woo movies, Ringo Lam movies, Stanley Tong, uh, Sue Hark, all those directors, their movies were finally getting released on video. And so like in college for me, like 96 to like 2000, that was when I was soaking up like every Hong Kong movie I could find. I had an import copy of Drunken Master 2 with terrible subtitles I could barely read. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> just all that shit. And I fell in love with them but this movie in particular took me a lot more a while longer to see because of all those movies i feel like this one was a little harder to find um sure is that your experience with it 
Uh, you know, that that same uh, friend of mine had this one and he was like, oh, this is so cool. But it was never it was always like like if I got a book of got to Hong Kong cinema, this would always be in like the B plus tier or some <laughs> yeah. some would put it in the A tier, but not not all of them. Uh, but yeah, I think uh, this was a big one to my friend, too, because he had. Like he he loved the genre elements of it that were just so heightened, like that that was a big thing for him. And and also, you know, I got to see so many of these. I I had like the list of the ones to look up and and count on my friend to buy because this was before he could just download it. Yeah. Um, and the one of the ones was uh, Image Comics. They did a side series for Gen oh, Thirteen. I was gonna bring this up. I'm so happy you did. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. Well, okay, the good, yeah, because the, the comic artist Adam Warren, who is yeah. into all of those things, uh, he did this three issue thing called Grunge the Movie, and yeah. in it, it, I mean, it's a, it's a very fun comic, and Adam Warren is a is a fun action uh, comedy guy, but also the grunge character just like literally lists like dozens of films. And so it kind of was like marching orders to go like, Oh, I got to, I got to watch this grunge says it's cool. Yeah. And he, he quotes these movies and, and, and they do like lifts from movies. And, and I remember that that was it that grunge, the movie. And then there was the gen 13 bootleg series, which Adam Warren also did parts of and the gen 13 zine. (laughs) I was I was way into Gen 13 when I was in high school. I don't think we were the target market for that one, considering the the focus of that book. But it was still well, a fun, yeah. No, <laughs> you know. I like I like Adam Warren, despite how you know his horniness. I'm like, ah, it's a cheesecake guy, and he he still like he he draws handsome men as well. But that's, yeah. it's not his interest. I can tell his heart's his heart's not in it the same as it is for drawing, say a. a gratuitous uh shower scene that then the characters call out is needless <laughs> yes not to get too sidetracked on gen 13 but there was there was a gen 13 zine like a fake zine they made and the cover oh. of it was roxy getting i think a belly button piercing or a tattoo like in that area right, and like right. the pants a little bit down and 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 grunge is looking at a oogly and one of my friends in high school wanted me wanted a photocopy of that i don't know why um <laughs> And so I was the student aide for the science library. Our school had two libraries, and no one ever went to the science library. So I was like, hey, when I'm there, I can make a copy of it. And so the librarian left. I go to make a copy of it. She comes back, asks what I'm doing. I I reluctantly show her the cover, and she just kind of rolls her eyes and helps me copy it and leaves. (laughs) She's just like, like, it's not Playboy, fine, whatever. It could have been a lot worse, Uh, I guess. But anyway, yeah, sorry. Wow. Yeah, Gen 13 (laughs) gives me a lot of high school, like good high school flashbacks. I I enjoy Gen 13.
Also, I didn't watch this movie until it came out on DVD in 2003. I'm sure there were VHS tapes available in America, but I can never, never find them. Oh, yeah. I, I was lucky a friend, that that same friend, the, he did have this tape. So we, yeah. we watched this back then. He kind of, he had a bad habit of if he'd seen the movie before, he, pretty much he'd never, he'd watch it and then I'd come over to his place and be like, dude, look what I just got. And a lot of the times he'd be like, I gotta fast forward through this. I don't like like he had no patience oh, for the for the story scene sometimes. So I had to like tell, uh, but eventually then I got my own copy of it, uh, like dubbed uh, from him, and I was like, okay, I can watch this on my time. Yeah, I mean, well, if you're gonna skip non-story parts of a movie, I guess this is the one to do it with because it ain't much. Like mm-hmm. it's a pretty simple story. It's just uh, Chai Young Fat plays a character whose name may be. Gofei, Godfrey, or Jeff, depending mm-hmm. on the dub or subtitle. And he's double-crossed by his gang and goes to get revenge. Pretty much, that's the long and the sort of it. And it's actually, some people say this is a remake of uh, the Lee Marvin film, Point Blank, um, which was a book first. I forgot the name mm-hmm. of the book. Which was also remade into Mel Gibson's Payback a few years later after this have you seen point blank or payback uh yeah a point blank i saw a long time ago i'm fuzzier on that but like uh, payback i i actually really like that movie a lot even though it feels it feels weird to compliment mel gibson films hey, now, you know really, yeah. what are you gonna do yeah but but i really did like that film and uh and the but re-watching this um it i when you said uh payback and and point break i was like oh yeah point, or point blank, blank. point break yeah sorry yeah. point blank <laughs> well when you said i was like oh right that's how it all falls together i mean definitely the plot is uh very close to those but it also just fits the usual like you know revenge uh return uh, kind of thing like a guy yeah. gets screwed over uh in in the underworld and then he and then it's a story about how he's gonna get those guys and you want him to get like robocop follows a very similar path <laughs> to this one you know that's a good point but well robocop is not betrayed though i mean that's he true. is he's there's the like there's, there's a higher level of betrayal with like ocp and the cops but like not so much like they don't directly kill him. I guess it's a difference. I know he's not yeah. working. He's not working with Boddicker at any point, you know, so <laughs> that's true. A little bit different. But yeah, I, I've always liked this movie and I, I feel it's a little bit different than a lot of the other movies of this type because it's not. I mean, when we, if people say Hong Kong action and they're not talking about Jackie Chan, nine times out of ten are talking about John Woo. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, why wouldn't you? I mean, Man, he made, I think he made Hong Kong action films that were not Kung Fu. Like, he invented the genre practically in Hong Kong. Yeah, no, he caused a huge shift in it. Like, and he became the, you know, the top guy of the of the group. I, I really do. It was fun watching this again, uh, just because I didn't, I mostly would remember, especially if you're Chinese fat, uh, his, his Wu movies and those have such a specific style to them, you know, this about ba- this balletic violence and, and mm-hmm. all this, this slow-mo, which, you know, uh, gets to the point of like almost mockery of like, all right, <laughs> slow-mo again, really, or doves again, but, but, dubs, it, yes. but it was a real tone. Like you can feel, but in, in full contact, it is, it isn't that, I mean, they're not say there's not slow-mo, but I think really the difference from, 
a John Woo feel. I felt this in a lot of uh, Ringo Lam's movies is that it's dingier, like it's grosser. Yeah. It, and it and it feels, you know, like John Woo, um, he's almost like kind of a visitor to that world. And he's like, oh, this is sort of an idealized bar or whatever. But when, like the bars in this movie, like especially in the, the Thailand section, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this feels like a real like dive bar that somebody's at and you can just like feel the nicotine like on your skin (laughs) and just like the sweat like yeah yeah john woo's films especially like from 86 on are super slick and super stylish like a better tomorrow is the first big one which was just like that's like top gun in hong kong like that movie was (laughs) defined the decade in terms of style and what came afterwards. It was so popular, they had to make a rating system for movies there. Like, wow. Which led to more movies being made like this, because once there was a rating system, it was more people were more comfortable making more adult content, which is kind of cool. You know, that's, that's what you want. That's the good part of a rating system, you know? Yeah. And, you know, but at the same time as John Woo, you had Ringo Lam, who, you know, was started directing in the early 80s, didn't really make much that was popular. And then he... In 1987, a year after Better Tomorrow, which has Cha Young Fat, who we'll get to, of course, he made Prison on Fire with Cha Young Fat, which was also a huge movie. I think it definitely um, capitalized off the fact that Cha Young Fat was in it, but it is also a great film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And have you seen any of the On Fire, Prison on Fire, School on Fire? At, uh, have you seen any of these movies? City, City on, on Fire. Yeah. City on Fire is the first one. Yeah, City on Fire, Prison on Fire, School on Fire. Yeah, uh, City on Fire was the only one I've seen, and I, 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 I should, uh, you know, talking about the things that brought me to Hong Kong cinema. Another huge factor of that is Quentin Tarantino. Yes, uh, because I, you know, I, 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 when I say I was a video store guy, I was like, I watched Clerks as a kid. I did think, you know, Randall is a cool guy to imitate. Though I wasn't the half the like asshole he is in those movies. Yeah, he's the I, idealized I, clerk for, for the clerk. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I was much more of the Dante. Like, man, I'm not even supposed to be. That was really more my tone as a clerk. But, but anyway, as a video store clerk, you listen to everything Quentin Tarantino tells you to say because he's the king of them all. And so when I learned that Reservoir Dogs, you know, was highly inspired by City on Fire, then I was like, well, I gotta watch this and. I had just pulled up City on Fire uh, this morning. I was like, damn, this movie's still good. Like, this, such a good movie. And, I mean, I do play the game of, like, oh, well, there's there's Mr. White, and that's Mr. Pink, and that's... But it's it's a great movie on its own. You don't need to have seen Res- Reservoir Dogs for yeah. it to connect with you. Yeah, I, I I have seen City on Fire, actually. If, you, if I look at my Amazon history, it was the very first thing I purchased on Amazon. <laughs> was a copy of City on Fire like in the early 2000s and but I had I probably have not seen it in close to 20 years at this point so I really should we rewatch it I do remember liking it I think my problem with a lot of Ringo Lamb films is that they're good but the John movies are better well I think it is best you know I like Ringo better when he's in the dirty world like when he tries to do things uh, City on Fire might be his like most respectable one of the ones I've seen and closer to the like operatic tone of john woo but even then it's like you know uh when things get dirty or sweaty in in city on fire it's like ah that's good that's the good stuff i think yeah. he, he he shouldn't chase respectability too much yeah he shouldn't yeah you're right but like for me every time i'd want to watch city on fire or 
another one I end up watching Better Tomorrow 2. Um, mm-hmm. Because, I, I mean, I like Better Tomorrow 2 so much, my senior thesis in college was, was about that movie. So, like, wow. I'm a little biased, I guess. But yeah, Ringo Lamb was a pretty big deal with those movies. And then he made a few other ones. He made one of the worst Jackie Chan movies from the 90s, <laughs> Twin Dragons. You know, I always figured that I, I watched that one. And I think it was like... But I only saw it, you know, also when it's like five years older so, or in late 90s. So it seems even cornier. And yeah. then on top of that, it's like, well, I already saw the, uh, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme twin movie. This is is more of that twin stuff. But but also, I think, you know, uh, Jackie Chan uh, is kind of director proof or it's like anytime he gets partnered with a big name director, once he's get got as big as he did in the 90s. It seems like he has a problem with every director that isn't Stanley Tong. Yeah. And it's just like, I feel it, it's kind of like with how uh, Mike Myers would oh. not star in things other people direct. Like, he's he's got to be number one. That's a good that's a good comparison. You're right there. It is funny you also mentioned the Jace, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme twin flicks because Ringo Lamb directed two movies. <laughs> Oh, with Jean-Claude Van Damme is a twin oi clone. His American debut was Maximum Risk from 1996. And in that movie, Jean-Claude Van Damme is a twin whose twin brother dies in the beginning of the movie. And That's then, so Jean-Claude right. Van Damme has to avenge his death. Uh, right. That has Natasha Henstridge in it. I saw that movie in the theater. I remember liking it. It has an amazing fight sequence in an elevator with a knife it's just this very you said you like the 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 grungy down and dirty ringo lamb i think that movie on its hype when it's good really (laughs) captures that (laughs) i haven't seen that in so long i should yeah yeah, i I think i just saw it in theaters but i can't uh though i you know when i saw um hard risk i didn't know john woo well like i even saw i saw broken arrow before i saw any of the hong kong john woo mm-hmm. films it was it was only but by the time i saw face off on my 16th birthday that was my me and my friends birthday parties that was me and my friends who the hong kong action film guys who in, introduced introduced me to it. i was like well then we're seeing the new jo- john woo movie on my birthday guys let's go yeah, I, I think I mean like everyone in America, I had saw I had seen Hard Target before his other his Hong Kong films. But I think by the time Broken Arrow came out, because like I said in this podcast, my my family owned a video store in the, in the eighties and nineties, and uh, my dad loved Hard Target, so he got a he, we watched uh, Hard Boiled on VHS dubbed. Nice. And even in VHS on VHS dubbed, like I'm like this is a masterpiece, you know, and I feel that kind of there was a very important movie for me getting into action films later. And in the same with a lot of other, like other people from that era. And it's funny with Ringo Lamb, Ringo Lamb went to, well, John Woo went to America. First movie, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ringo Lamb went to America. First movie, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Sue Hark <laughs> went to America. First movie, Jean-Claude Van Damme, the one with Dennis Rodman. Oof, boy you can't yeah it's it's you know it seems like jcvd is like your starter pack for it but also he you know maybe he was ready to give a chance more to uh overseas directors non-american directors back then than others were i don't know and it's definitely diminishing returns because hard target is amazing yes. uh, um maximum risk i think it's good now i have not seen i think double team the one of dennis rodman I'm right. gonna guess it's probably not great. I'm just, you know, just 
spitball in there that the Dennis Rodman action, Dennis, the, the Jean-Claude Van Damme, Dennis Rodman, Mickey Rourke. Yes. Well. Action film from 1997. Probably not great. And then he also made, I think he did another movie with Jean-Claude Van Damme. He did Knockoff. Oh, that's right. too hard. He had two yeah. back-to-back Jean-Claude Van Damme bombs. And then he was like, you know what? I'm just going to go back to Hong Kong now. So, uh, yeah. Wow. That, you know, uh, but but anyway, yeah, that, that, that's all other tangent from Ringo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, poor Ringo. Yes. But Ringo's the same way. Like, Ringo never really latched on in America. Most of his American films are Jean-Claude Van Damme films. And he went back to Hong Kong pretty much right after Mass Memorisk, made a few more movies. Uh, didn't work for quite a while. Came back a few years ago, but unfortunately, he passed away in 2018 at the age of 63, which is a shame. I I was so sad to read that. If I I had, if I hadn't seen it when he passed away, I had forgotten it, and it's just you know I uh, it's uh, 63 too too young for for yeah okay. yeah. And I feel like a lot of his films, especially the on fire ones, and this movie are you know hopefully ripe for rediscovery. I think. We'll get into it later, but a lot of these movies are really hard to find still in America. Mm-hmm. So I hope someday they get brought back out. You know, I think the fact that Chow Young Fat's in it would have to help because outside of Jackie Chan, would you say he was the most popular Hong Kong actor from the nineties? Uh, yeah, I would say I in America it, anyway. I mean, now in America, I I'd, I'd say probably Jet Li surpassed him, but mm, yeah. Up until up until the aughts, I would say Chayun Fat was second to Jackie for sure, and it was yeah. and it was really just about what two flavors you wanted. Like, did you did you want comedy or did you want you know a badass you know? And did you want did you want cool stunts or did you want gunplay? Like they they were such great. Like it was vanilla and chocolate, you know, kind of different flavors with them uh, with Chayun Fat yeah. and uh, Jackie. It's always weird for me when I see Chow Young Fat in like martial arts films from like like you know Crouching Tiger and stuff. It's like, where's <laughs> your gun? What, what what happened to your gun? You should have guns. You should have two guns. Yeah. No, I <laughs> I mean I'm talking about all the ways he got cast. Uh, you know, in the uh, from the aughts uh, or '98 onward, it's just I think especially um, um, Western producers saw like, oh, he's a big star in China. Well, he does kung fu or something, right? And it's like. Eh. I mean, he's. Yeah. I I think he's. I really liked him in Crouching Tiger, but uh, he's not. You know, a trained martial artist. He's not like no. Donnie Yen or whatever. So yeah, yeah. And and he he came to America. He did a few like I would say like medium hits or like a, either either high profile bombs or like minor hits in America, mm-hmm. like like replacement killers. Yeah. Oh, let me tell you about replacement killers. Oh, okay, go ahead, please. I saw that opening day. I was so excited for it. I was so excited that uh, just like the week of its release, I watched Chalian Fat do an interview on the the Magic Johnson talk show, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my god, this is you know." And and he was, and also it was funny because Chow was you know uh, Chalian Fat was very um personable and and appealing but he also you know was a little uncomfortable he didn't uh he he wasn't uh as well spoken in english i think Mm. as he would grow to be but he like does a cool like stunt with two guns and and magic johnson is just saying like guys seriously this guy rules he's in the best movies (laughs) and then when i saw it in theaters i was just like when is he gonna pick up a second gun where is that it took forever for that and I also feel like uh, I I 
can't source where it was, but I remember this online scuttlebutt at the time was in that movie. He pretty much only shoots other Asian guys because they didn't want him to shoot white people because they're like, oh, that'll offend Americans if the Chinese guy shoots white people the whole movie. Weird. That's why he only fights like other triads in the film. I never saw the replacement killers. I did see the corruptor and I liked that movie. Like, again, I haven't seen that in 20 years. Uh, that's the one with Mark Wahlberg, unfortunately. Um, yeah, yeah. And you know he sucks, but you know that's not the movie's fault. Uh, I, I, I thought the corruptor was interesting because that that was also a very dark film um, mm-hmm. with no real good guys, and and it has Brian Cox, and I watch Brian Cox do anything. So oh know, yeah, he's great. No, I, that. I mean, I I was following his American stuff until Bulletproof Monk. After Bulletproof <laughs> Monk, I was like. I just can't. It has to get a good review if it's an American thing. You're in uh, Chai Fat. Otherwise, I'm not. And then, like after that, he's Master Roshi and Dragon Ball. It's like he's yeah. He got. But I, I think this movie with him as uh, Godfrey. I I still think of him as Godfrey because that was the original subs I had as a kid. Uh, yeah, but, that's fine. Yeah, Godfrey's close to Galfay. That's you know. <laughs> but but I think his character is. Like he's usually just kind of playing himself. It's one of those things where you see like Tom Cruise playing a character that's different from the other characters he plays that you're thinking like, well, you're Tom Cruise pretending to be somebody. And I feel like there's a little of that in this. Cause like giant fat to me, he is a guy with sunglasses and two guns who shoots people. And he's not like <laughs> a punk guy or a Harley motorcycle yeah. ride type guy. That's not necessarily the first thing I picture. I think he does a, a really good job with it but it doesn't feel uh as natural as the stock kind of guy he is well i feel this less he's less of a character even he's just Mm -hmm. kind of his character is he was betrayed and that's pretty much his entire arc that's why it's a lot like point blank to me with the lee marvin movie um more so than payback payback especially the version of payback that played in theaters they try to give mel gibson's character some redeeming qualities that are not in the original story and Chai Young Fat has that one redeem like he wants to help a burn victim <laughs> in yeah. this movie which is kind of I feel kind of out of left field and I feel it is almost kind of shoehorned in to make you him more more sympathetic because yeah because he's not a good guy like he murders people like in the first heist with him like yo they they kill the people in that truck like yeah, that's what's re- that is interesting how Ringo plays with his lead in this crime film that he doesn't have much patience for. Like, uh, you know, City on Fire is all about, you know, does being a criminal make you all bad or all good? Does being a cop do that? Like, it's the morality is a huge part of it. Yeah. And meanwhile, this, like, you're like, well, he's, you know, you see early on that Godfrey is, he's a, uh, uh, he's a good bouncer who is like not a uh, needlessly violent and he defends his friends. But yeah, there's a, there isn't all this work to show him with a heart of gold. Like I, in some other films, they would have at least had him say like, well, everybody in this car that we're robbing and about to shoot up, they're all bad people. Are they, yeah. you know, this, this proves it's okay. Or they'll, you'll get like a five second, just uh self-defense moment of the guys like pulling out their guns but in this case it's just uh godfrey just uh, is part of his 
idea is we want to steal this thing from people. They won't let us. So we got to kill all of them and then we can steal it. Like, yeah. And he doesn't have like he's cool looking in a in a biker cool kind of way, but he, he's not sleek like he is in a in a John Woo movie, like in The Killer or mm-hmm. in A Better Tomorrow when he's lighting cigarettes with a hundred dollar bills. You know, yes, yeah, he's he, fucking gangster. Like, no, he's just he's just a a thug who's an exceptionally good thug. I mm-hmm. I actually feel like the villains in this movie are more interesting characters. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I uh, agree with that. They're they're so like that's you know in John Woo movies a lot of his villains are just you know uh, they're different shades of like I'm evil like just like John evil like he doesn't care is he's all much more about blurring the lines between you know two sides of the same coin. I mean that's all Face Off is, but like <laughs> literally but yes. But then usually he has another guy who's like, well, this is just like in uh, a gross asshole and we hate this guy and he's but he's not that interesting in those type of villains but in here like these guys are video game bosses you know yeah totally yeah and 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 the 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 final boss is judge or the judge played by uh simon yam simon yam's in a million movies um Mm -hmm. a lot of these guys are in a million movies (laughs) or they're in like five and they quit simon yam is judge judge is a fantastic villain they never say he's gay, but he's gay. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's, yeah. Well, he's with a guy a lot. Then, but, but then the words never come out. But yeah, a very rare, openly gay character for the time period. I think. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah. As as a gay, I <laughs> same in, here. <laughs> yeah. In in my memory, I had told my husband I was like I think I remembered him as more homophobic, and I don't. I'm not saying there's there's not some bad trophy stuff yeah. in here with him, but like I was really worried of like, well, here's did I I must have forgotten it. I'm sure there's a scene in here where like one of the good guys says, Hey, shut up, faggot, or whatever. Yeah. You know, I I was sure there was gonna be something of, uh, you know, very ugh about the portrayal of him. But he is just like a very fancy man who has just style for days and also just kills at the drop of a hat. And he's like, you got to be cruel to live in this world. Like that's just he's he's a monster, but he also is just so appealing and just he's he really is like the Joker, you know? Yeah, (laughs) I I feel like they made him gay, you know, possibly to kind of other him a bit more, you know, but. There's nothing about him being evil and him being gay are not connected mm-hmm. in the character, which I appreciate. And yeah, he has a lot of tropes and he's a little flamboyant. And I guess you could, some might say that's at best, like, you know, stereotyped or contrived or homophobic, but it just kind of makes me like him more. <laughs> I really do. Yeah. Even when he stabs that girl in the heart at the start. Oh movie and just like man that fire tray they him lighting a cigarette with his thumb was pretty cool though yeah like, and then that, the gun comes out of nowhere like a lot like yeah he's <laughs> like when he when you when you see him shoot someone he is not holding a gun and then it cuts back and he has a gun yeah like, it's so weird he's like a he's like a gay evil david copperfield with a snakeskin <laughs> jacket i also feared that there was going to be something with one of his like uh boy toys that are always around him that he'd like murder one of them or something or just toss him to the side i mean also you know i've i've complained uh many times about how these the billion dollar marvel movies you know 
you have to read online like, well, this character said they were gay once or whatever. <laughs> and to, so to see someone in a, you know, a genre film be so, you know, clearly overtly gay. I mean, he doesn't kiss another man in it, but no. he's he is so clearly gay and hitting yeah. on other men and hitting on Shane Fat. And also just like I love that the definition of cool for godfrey in this movie when judge hits on him you know there's a lot of action movies that even in 1992 uh-huh. if an evil gay guy hit on your main character they'd say like i don't swing that way nancy and like slap him or something mm-hmm. but but for godfrey to be a cool punk he just is like not bothered by it. he's like yeah whatever yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i do hope you also yeah the judge obviously is, is into godfrey like he wants to get mm-hmm. with him and Godfrey never expresses any disgust about that. You're right. He's clearly not interested. But, you know, I feel like he's less and not interested because because the judge is evil more than anything else. You know? Yeah. He's like, yeah. you're a bad guy. I can tell that for the first time I met you. I'm not the being uh, being propositioned by another man does not disgust me. But you morally, personally, judge, you disgust me. Well, and also the, the, the act gave me a lot of respect for the actor, too, because, mm-hmm. you know, especially uh, in action films back then for a major star like him to play such a camp villain and not in a, and, and really give into it instead of like, you know, some people get given queer roles and especially back then they would play it with like, this isn't me. Like, I'm not comfortable with this because I'm so not gay. But but that's not how Simon Yam plays it. I feel. I think he he plays it more honestly, and it, it doesn't feel like a guy who's scared of being thought of as actually gay by playing. Not that I think he is, but yeah. just the way he plays it, I, I has a confidence I appreciate. Yeah, it is good, and it is it is interesting that a lot of the John Woo films, especially from this genre, which a lot of people call this type of movie a heroic bloodshed movie, it's kind of basically mm-hmm. like. Hong Kong gangster flicks, basically, uh, these gun movies. But like mm-hmm. a lot of them have some people weed homoerotic overtones into them or undertones, mm-hmm. like the killer, especially. Like, oh yeah, a lot of when when there was talk about the killer getting remade in America, which, which thankfully never happened. Um, <laughs> the, the 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 ideal casting was Richard Gere and Michelle Yeoh. Like, <laughs> that was the rumor I heard back in the day. Like they. Wow they wouldn't even have two men in those roles because in America it would just be gay. So, well, yeah, I, yeah. So, so many of them in this film too, like brotherhood and the, this mm-hmm. close bond, this close male bond is so central to it. And that's like, you know, reservoir dogs imitating, uh, the brotherhood angle of city of fire, a uh, city on fire, uh, that definitely led some people to be like, oh, are these like this is a love film between uh, orange and white, you know, yeah. and, or uh, but but in this case that I was thinking of that, too, of like how in most John Woo films, like there's rarely a like key heterosexual relationship. And yeah. and this film, like, actually, like, has fucking in it, like for having, <laughs> for having Judge, who is such a camp uh, gay character. It also is like so horny in a hetero way too, like in a way that John Woo movies would like not be. 
Yes, the, the horniness comes mostly from one character. One translates her name is Lau, and, and another it's Virgin, which is hilarious. Um, yes, I, I like that. I love. I want their names to be only those nicknames because that makes you know Judge Virgin Madman. Yeah. That makes them so much more like video game bosses to me. And totally. That's what I really love about them. And and Virgin is definitely like the second to last stage boss, maybe. And uh, <laughs> she's just the like. She's a minor character, kind of. She is a, a terrible stereotype, but this this psychotic nymphomaniac. But just like how Judge is this, you know, amoral, evil, homosexual man, I think he's awesome, and I kind of think Virgin. I think Virgin is awesome too. Yeah, just because yeah. she's she's so disgusting and sh- so over the top and so crazy. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Virgin and Judge together, like, they do both feel like, you know, we're outsiders of society, not just because we're criminals, but also because we're things that society doesn't allow, or we're outside of the moral code, and that means either, you know, that can mean not killing people, but that also means for Judge, like, do not have same-sex relationships, and for Mona, it, uh, Virgin, it's just, you're a woman who wants sex and lets people know you want sex, and that's wrong like you shouldn't even if you do want sex you don't tell people that like that you're being a bad woman uh if you do such a thing yeah i think i think she hits on every man in this movie who is not uh judge yes right i think i think pretty much just everybody and it's 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 a bit much but uh, yes i, mean, I enjoy it consistent from scene to scene and she's <laughs> like yeah i i i you know i feel like a worse film would have had a scene where she hits on judge and judge tells her like you're barking up the wrong tree i think it's better that the two of them just have this understanding of like well obviously i wouldn't hit on you like you're you're not straight you're, you're not interested in women like <laughs> Uh, but no, I, uh, yeah, uh, Virgin is such a fun character to me. Like, yeah, she is, she's a horrible stereotype and what happens to her is very sad. Yes. But, but, and yeah, see, she's like both the women in this movie, I think are both very good. And although the other, although, uh, and Bridgewater who plays Mona doesn't have a lot to, doesn't have a lot, unfortunately, mm-hmm. like her character, she's, a, she's the girlfriend, but Bonnie Fu, great name, Bonnie Fu plays uh virgin she was in 20 films in six years and then quit wow wow (laughs) and now she works at a wushu school in phoenix arizona so that's good and that oh you know what sorry yes when i was talking about mona at first i got that mixed up i I did the same thing it's okay but Mona, I okay, I do like Mona as the uh, you know, the love interest in this because she does have some bite to her too of being like she is an exotic dancer. Yes. Like there there is cool stuff to her character that she's not exactly the virginal uh, you know, reward damsel in the stress girl either. I I like that. And I like that, you know, her and uh Godfrey have this kind of understanding of like, well, hey, we're gonna go straight, we're gonna be uh regular folks someday, we'll get we'll get married, but obviously you gotta rob a few more people first. But then hey, back yeah. to Hong Kong. <laughs> yeah, I gotta play the game for a bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's Anne Bridgewater and another person who quit. Like she was a figure skater, then an actress, then she married a rich guy from Canada and quit. <laughs> then 
she got divorced and she has a master's in psychology and now she works with developmentally disabled children. Oh, well, that's good. That's, I mean, well, it does seem like there's, you know, uh, I, actresses have a shorter yeah. uh career in a lot of the older hong kong films like it was very rare to see i mean like uh if if you didn't just fully retire like like there's like michelle yo briefly retired and only when she got divorced did she come back to to acting and then after that and then she pretty much just used jackie chan's films to get a uh, the super cop to that really launched her internationally so she didn't have to depend just on on the hong kong film market yeah, it is a it is a shame. One thing when I I do this podcast that that is a recurring theme. You find an interesting actress who's not us, uh, you know, a Julia Roberts type person, and they don't have long careers. Like the mm. I even forget the names. Like the, the woman who's in the Warriors, who's in Streets of Fire, like his uh, Cody's sister, oh, Deborah yeah. Van Vilkenberg yeah. or whatever. She's a great actress, but she never gets good roles because his woman. You know, it's very frustrating. And that, that is probably an even bigger problem in Hong Kong because in addition, especially back then, because back then you had to be a star, you had to be an idol, you had to be a singer. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. All, all these people, like, I don't know if Chai Young Fat has any records. I hope not. But a lot, a lot, almost yeah. all of the Cantonese stars from the 80s and 90s were also pop idols. And it's the same in Japan now, too. All the actors are you know idols well you know if you're gonna uh from a from an evil manager's position like if you're gonna invest that much in making someone a star in one thing you may as well just cover like three different mediums and then uh and you only had to build up one person for that but, yeah i guess so yeah and uh, like when especially in, in japan at least like some companies just control so much of the media that mm-hmm. they can shoehorn their 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 singer into a tv show and then into a movie and it's always a bummer to me because they all look the same and they can't act. But anyway, I'm getting off topic. The only, <laughs> the only other real actor of note in this movie, I think, well, character of note is Psycho or Madman, depending on mm-hmm. the dub. And that's uh, just this guy named Frankie Chi-Ling Chan, who's not the composer-director of the same name. Uh, his okay. Wikipedia, the, the click on the wiki, if you click on his name for full contact, it takes you to another person. It's not the right person. Um, <laughs> He's not in a lot. I just like that that dude is fucking huge. Oh yeah, he's <laughs> and, like he's wears he's a single eighties body, like yeah. that's like an eighties an eighties uh, all steroid body. That like he's just I I like seeing bodybuilder type guys like that who also you know he has he at least has a, a bit to his character of like oh hey that's my that's my wife like I'm a jealous yes. a jealous husband too. I uh, yeah he's he's fun he's fun. A jealous husband who wears a leotard or suspenders. Like, he looks like a bad guy in a final fight. I was going to say one actor we forgot to mention. I think a very important role is uh, Anthony Anthony Wong, who plays Sam Say. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Sam is 
is Godfrey's friend. Some some dubs have him as a brother, which is weird because Judd is his cousin. <laughs> so yeah, that was a little like, confused. I feel like they call him brother again because of that whole brotherhood thing, and it doesn't translate well. For yeah, I, yeah. I would. I mean, that sounds like you know, I've I've seen some old uh, Japanese uh, a- anime. Uh, fan subs that would t- you know they'd if somebody said aniki as as a you know a term of endearment they'd be like well that means his literal brother yeah yeah, hey, yeah people yeah. don't get it yeah but i love him in this movie and i love his character i mm-hmm. feel he's a great actor uh he's the bad guy in hard-boiled also he's johnny wong Yes. Yeah. And I didn't. I watched both those movies this week, and it took me a while to figure it out because <laughs> he's so different in Hard Boiled. He he's a complete. He looks different. He like he's a fantastic actor. No, and, he's he's the best actor in this movie. Like he's so I I couldn't believe I had slept on that character. Uh, and, and Sam is the best character in the movie because you know when I when I was younger. I was either, you know, I was just into the main dudes, like the the cool, flashy guys like Judge and Godfrey. And then and and Sam, you know, when he starts is just this like whining guy being like uh, held hostage. I was like, well, that guy's a dweeb like that's he's not an interesting guy. But now this time when I watched, I was like, this is the most interesting guy who has like so, he goes through so many changes and so many like interesting situations like he's so much more complex than than godfrey is and and played so so wonderfully yeah sam sam rules yeah and i he he does so much with just his mannerisms like when you first see him he's this this sniveling shit and then after he is forced to betray godfrey he just becomes just so evil and yeah him wearing all blacks a bit much you know <laughs> but i feel like his mannerisms are great and early on he, he kills an innocent person because he's told to and you can tell he hates himself mm-hmm. like nobody hates sam more than sam hates sam and yes i feel like that is a real good portrayal of a, of a character like this who they're not all psychopaths with no sense of right or wrong like judge some people like this in these situations fucking hate themselves and that's not something you get a lot in these movies so yeah yeah. you can tell you can tell like he the uh the way wong plays it after he's forced to betray his friend and just the lies he tells himself to do it in the moment like then he's just he's shut down like he's in shell shock uh for the rest of that scene and then once you see like he then plays the next scene when he's like a violent enforcer who just like shoots just pulls the trigger anytime that's you you i feel wong plays it like sam has said well what more can i do i did the worst thing i could do so what's shooting a guy in the leg in front of dozens of witnesses i don't care yeah suit this guy point blank in the chest fuck it yeah you know? yeah and yeah because wong's a great actor he he was in the untold story, which don't watch that movie. It's disgusting, but he's very good in it. And <laughs> uh, it is cannibalism. Um, but he's also in Infernal Affairs, which was the movie that became The Departed. 
He's in the Initial D movie. He's won like 8 billion Hong Kong film awards. He is like the most actor, actor of the actors in this movie. I would say even more than Chai Young Fat. Because Chai Young Fat's great, but he kind of only plays the one role. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? no, he's, he's the top actor in this movie. He is like the character actor in a spotlight role who just does great. Like he's, uh, and and yeah, I mean, he's, he's great in Infernal Affairs. I love that film and that uh i saw that before i uh you know the departed i saw it when it was relatively new like a year or two old and so when departed came out i was that annoying guy who said you well you guys have to see infernal affairs i know the name sounds dumb but people <laughs> give it but but the the st- all-star cast of infernal affairs like that actually does fit with the departed having like the most famous people <laughs> in all the roles for the departed like it, it fits with the star level for for the chinese market that infernal affairs had i'm a, i'm a, i'm a bad film nerd cuz i still have not seen the departed and oh. i've also never seen infernal affairs and i i've always i owned infernal affairs at one point and never got around to watching it cuz i'm that idiot but I would like to see it someday. A lot of people would say it is like the last hurrah of the golden age of Hong Kong movies. So Yeah, I'd agree with that. It's 2002, kind of like on the way out, you know, but... Ip Man is the attempt to, you know, reclaim it. And it's like, hey, no, we can still make Hong Kong movies like that. But, but really, Ip Man is more like, you know, the senior cup in the... Uh, of golf or whatever, which you still like, man, you guys can still do it, but you can't really be in the same league as the as the younger guys yeah and also there's the whole ickiness with the politics involving a lot of the stuff in hong kong now that makes it kind of hard to watch well yes i mean that was yeah that i look i'm no expert on the chinese political situation but i will say when i was all up for all these films and i was still watching them into the aughts and i i really liked hero until the very end when it hit me i was like oh wait a minute (laughs) <laughs> this is an allegory for China's government. That's weird. Like, yeah. Yeah. It, funny that. it made me feel weird. Yeah. My roommate at the time was Chinese and he was like, that's heavy handed. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> he saw it. But yeah, if, if you are worried about politics with these movies, this movie has no politics, <laughs> deliberately so. Ringo Lamb got, he said he got death threats for some of his movies because they were so political, like, and critical of Hong Kong. So, um, full contact is as deliberately not political as possible. It has no meaning. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just like it's it's just violent, just extremely. And like the cops barely exist in this world. Like they yes. they show like law laws barely exist in this world. They show up too late, but otherwise, there's like no laws anywhere. Yeah, it's like Mad Max or Ohio. And I, I, yeah. I was just yeah. in Ohio, and it, it felt like that. Um, <laughs> Well, I mean, I guess it doesn't make uh, Bangkok look like the safest place. Either. No, it really, uh, yeah. One night in Bangkok does make a hard man crumble. Um, I want to talk a bit about like the actual movie. Like I said, I don't want to get too much into spoilers, although again, not much of a plot. Um, but I do feel like this the style of this film 
is so unique and so I read a lot of reviews and people called it nihilistic and I don't get that. I just think there's a difference between nihilistic and grungy. And yeah. this is just a dirty movie, not dirty like <laughs> dirty, although a little bit, but mostly yeah. dirty as like it feels like everyone's covered in filth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's like sweaty. It's like gross yeah, and grungy. Like people people are wearing like a day old shirt like like the at the start when you meet the lone shark. I'm just like, "Ugh, like this guy <laughs> is just he has like just the the filth of sin all over him, I guess too, you could say." But like and then I mean, the fanciest guy with the least like filth on him is the most evil guy in the movie, Judge. Like it's he, like real life, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no I <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't call it uh, like I wouldn't say it's completely like heartless or it doesn't believe there's any good in the world because, you know, Godfrey is like the the he is your hero of the film. And he is like his his heroism, though, as shown in the start of the movie, like his save the cat moments kind of are he'll help his friends, even when his friend actually is like, well, yeah, I, uh, this loan shark is beating me up because I didn't pay him. And I borrowed money from a loan shark and didn't pay him. Like, oh, okay. Well, I get, but he's like, hey, don't slap my brother. Like, that's his, that shows that he has some kind of code. And then on top of that, uh, you know, when he could be an extra violent bouncer at the club he's at in the beginning, he just goes like, hey, come on, stop having sex in the bathroom. Get out of here. Yeah, <laughs> go on. Scoot. That's gross. That's gross, man. You don't know what, yeah. you don't, I mean, come on. Look at these walls. Don't don't do that. Yeah. Though. You're gonna make yeah. them even messier. The uh, in the in the subtitles, it was uh, is like, hey, the, the the act of love, making love is is sacred. Do it in a bed. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, that's it is strange. I I feel like yeah, it does just have this feeling of not like there is no cops. Other than the beginning, there's no cops, and so it, it does have this. That is the opposite of a John Woo film, where like. There were always cops, except at the end at the killer when this, when they kill all of Hong Kong, pretty much. But yes. it just it does feel like you remove cops from the equation because what's the point? That's just mm-hmm. it's not fun. Yeah. Well, if any of them went to the cops or whatever, it'd just be like, well, we went to the cops. Like I let's it would be getting the cops to take care of the problems of the heroes, which it's for it's for Godfrey to deal with, not the cops. Yeah, and I also think it's weird that the judge is a gun runner. Like, that's yeah. his go-to, like, crime, because that's the same plot as Hard Boiled. That's, that's true, man. I yeah, and Hard Boiled and Full Contact came out the same year. Neither of them were as big in... So, like, in Hong Kong, the big one is Better Tomorrow, like I said, and mm. Better Tomorrow 2 and The Killer. And Hard Boiled didn't do as good, but it did pretty good. And But Full Contact and Hong Kong bombed. Mm. And both of these are bigger among cult fans in America than they are among Axon fans in Hong Kong. And I, I'm trying to figure out why that is, because they are both very different films. Um, you know, Hard Boiled, I feel, does a lot with good and evil. You know, and mm. like what's what makes somebody a bad cop or like um, like what just do the ends justify the means and all this shit. And 
full contact doesn't give a shit about any of that. Like, it no, just no. wants you to kill everyone. And they, but they also have different types. Not just the griminess of it. The styleness of it is di- when it has style. It's different. Hard boiled relies a lot on huge set pieces. Like mm-hmm. there's that shot of that dude getting shot on the motorcycle and the motorcycle blows up and the dude's yeah. on it. Like that's fucking rad. And full contact, I feel wants to do more with just pure stock violence. Yeah, no, I mean, it was the extremeness of, uh, when I first saw full contact, it was, it was a film where I was on edge too of like, well, how far is this going to go? I, and like anything that when a finger is, get cut off uh early in the film i'm like oh geez this is this anything can happen in this not real i mean this is hardly like the most violent film ever made or anything like that but but it, it yeah it had that risk to it to me well there's also in another version of the film that because i gave you so this was movie's hard to get again we're gonna get that in a minute but we watched the same version of the movie and that version is edited mm. there is a scene cut out so the judge wants Godfrey's eyes. Literally. Uh, okay. And the scene when Sam goes in to kill Godfrey and doesn't do it, he's walking out. And when you see him walking out, his hand's covered in blood. If, because he cut someone else's eyes out. Wow. And that's not in most versions of the movie. But you can t- that's, what's, that's what's happening there. So I feel like nihilism isn't a good word for this film but this film is very cruel oh yeah well yeah. when in that when the place explodes and it's like oh this i thought they were just gonna have to prove what a good guy godfrey is at heart he's gonna save this girl but that he saves the girl but she is like burnt like horribly and it's yeah. just it's and that is such a bring down moment i i think too i was on edge the entire first time i watched it with him having a dog because i was like oh god what don't kill the what, dog what horrible thing they burned that girl to death what horrible thing is going to happen to this dog you know thankfully the dog makes it yes yes don't don't fear that you'll see violence done to a dog in this film you you if, will not if there was if there was violence to a dog in this movie my bo- my boyfriend would have left the room because he he <laughs> He can't take violence to, to dogs. That's too extreme for him. He's not a fan. No, I pretty uh, even even uh, you know obviously not. I certainly wouldn't want to watch it actually happen. But if fictional ones where you, I can even tell myself, I know a dog wasn't really hurt yeah. for this. Even in that, I'm like, eh, it's just I don't uh, like audition is one of the few films where I can take it, and I'm like, all right, I'd, I'd watch audition again, even though it has dog death in it. Audition is a film, and it's come up on this podcast before. Whenever anybody says it, a chill runs down my spine. And (laughs) I will never watch Audition ever again. Audition turned me off horror for a good few years. Like, I was just done with the genre. It's like, I'm going to get into, you know, action films for a while because fuck this shit. Um, (laughs) The only, you know, Dead Dog, I mean, John Wick's good, but I feel like. You can tolerate that because, A, you know what's going in if you've seen the trailer. And, B, the entire movie is him getting revenge for people who killed his dog. And so, And also, you don't see the dog for, like, the dog lives for, like, five minutes of screen time, pretty much. Like, unlike an audition where it's the full film and then the dog's killed at the end. Like, 
Yeah. That's not that's not even the thing. When you mentioned audition, that's not even like the top five fucked up things that pop in my head from that movie. It's not it's just not the, the foot. Oh god. Anyway. Oh, yeah. Yeah, anyway, but, but yes, in this film, uh, like that, he's given Giant Fat's character has so many accessories that it it almost feels like accessory overload. It's like, well, he's going to be remembered as like you know in for be- in Better Tomorrow, he's got a matchstick in his mouth and sunglasses. Here, it's like Harley Davidson, uh, a bandana, multiple bandanas. Like he's he's got a a punk guy haircut. And then and then on top, and he's he's missing two fingers. He shoots left handed. And then finally, it's like, and he's got a butterfly knife. And I'm just like, dude, calm it down. He is the end game. He 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 completed every side quest in Grand Theft Auto. Yeah, he has yeah. he has everything. And so. and that same friend uh, who introduced me to these films, you better believe he had a butterfly knife and played around with it a ton, like uh, like Godfrey does in this film. Like also like how how and I feel that's another thing in the movie that that the whole butterfly knife thing. Maybe it's just me wanting it to be the case, but I really feel that's uh, Streets of Fire. Oh sure, sure. Whenever yeah. I see a butterfly knife in an Asian film, because Streets of Fire was much more popular in Japan and China and China, Japan and Hong Kong, I'm like, maybe somebody saw better uh, Streets of Fire. Oh, I, well, you know, now you mention it, like Madman's look is pretty. A lot of Willem Dafoe. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> now I, I mean, the whole tone of it, and the I mean, when I say they're like video game villains, Streets of Fire set up video game villains like that's that the video games have villains like that because of Streets of Fire like that. That's it, you know. I uh, there's many reasons I want to visit Tokyo again, and we had hoped to uh, in the last year. Obviously, didn't. Uh, but uh, with one of my favorite things when I went there uh, the first time, and every time since, when I go to a karaoke place, no place in America has Streets of Fire music on on their oh, karaoke. Man. But I, every song is is on. I can count on them being on the machines in in Tokyo. So I, so I haven't. I, I live in Tokyo, you know, and I haven't been to karaoke in a long time. Obviously, um, I never thought. I never even thought to look it up. But oh, <laughs> if you're telling me that I can sing, I can get wasted and sing tonight's what it means to be young, um, mm. full blast to all my friends who will suffer. Then <laughs> I am going to because that song was my theme song the first year I moved here. <laughs> So. It was oh yeah, did you look it up the next time you're uh you're able to go to a karaoke room cuz yeah, I that's what I did on my um 2015 Japan trip with all with all my buddies back then that I made them sit through confusedly as I cuz I went like, "Oh my god, the Streets of Fire soundtrack's on here." And they're like, "What the what movie?" What, what? a what? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of great music, the sound, I want I, just for a minute, I want to talk about the songs in this movie because mm-hmm. why it's extreme here. <laughs> I love that. When I totally, I had no memory of extreme being at the start of it. And when it's like uh, just hearing like this, 
it's perfect music for like extreme their songs are like strip club songs like that's when i think of what song i hear in a strip club like it would be you know extreme or like you know cherry pie or whatever like and and get the get the funk out is a perfect song for that opening scene it's a great sequence and they really it's like a lot of people who don't know extreme know know the hits they know for the wholehearted and more than words but Mm -hmm. extreme were kind of a funk metal band you know like they have an album called porno graffiti yes like that's that's what they're going for you know Mm -hmm. um and to have a movie, I always I've I've watched this movie like once every five or six years, and I always forget it opens and get the funk out <laughs> until I'm like and I'm like oh god damn it it's an extreme um but they use it well and there's another extreme song in here and I, I don't know where it is but they use you know I somebody involved with this film liked extreme <laughs> there's two other weird ones the weirdest song on here and. People list it wrong. So a lot of people think that a remix of Bring the Noises in this movie. That's what I thought it was until seeing not, your notes. Yeah. It's not. It is uh, an obscure house song by a group called A Homeboy, A Hippie, and A Funky Dread yeah. um, called Total Confusion. And it's not Bring the Noise. It samples Bring the Noise. It samples the line when he says, radio stations like question their blackness. They call themselves black, but I'll see if they'll play this. It mm. samples that. But it's not PE. I don't know where or why. That's another one. It's like, how did that get in this movie? And there's another move. There's another song by this group called uh, Doctor Buzzard's Original Savannah Band, which was a disco band um, from the '70s, and it has a dance, like a house remix of one of their songs that I can't find anywhere. Um, Somebody. (laughs) involved in the making of this movie was way into detroit techno <laughs> man that's that those are such deep cuts for the time and it does it i mean that's more of that like you know dingy club feel of the movie that it just is like oh i feel like this is just music you'd hear played by you know uh, somebody really keyed into that scene who probably is a dj at a club back then like that yeah it, it, it really helps that tone for sure yeah, I, I wish they would have leaned into it a bit more of like the late 80s, early 90s, like cock rock. I like they should have had like faster pussycat on now, like put on <laughs> like bathroom wall or um, what's that band? Jackal. They said, <laughs> well, I yeah. And I also, well, I do wonder, too, especially with, you know, extreme, which were, you know, not the they're not like Metallica big back then, but they were big and like what i wonder what are the licensing rights on that like or is do they just go like ah it's it's hong kong we we do what we want or whatever i i feel like they'd have to at least pay the whoever has the music rights in china to or in hong kong to release that music well you know a lot of movies back then especially in hong kong and china just didn't give a fuck and it would be interesting to see like is is that a case of this is did they pay because they're not in the credits there's no like uh song you know credits in in the credits so who knows um i yeah, i what it's yeah. very limited yeah yeah like yeah yeah porno graffiti came out and i was just looking to see when porno graffiti came out porno graffiti came out in 1990 um so that's two years and this is this is the same year that three sides to every story came out which was not a big hit album mm-hmm. um my mom loved extreme so i know i know I know my mom, my mom was way into hair metal. She like owned every poison album. Uh, so 
I know way too much about that era of music. Uh, so yeah, it is a weird poll. I just think it's funny, you know, and it, it, it does fit the movie really well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now it 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 also was uh, this happens a few times in the movie, but uh, you know, for me and my friends back then, uh, because you know, part of the magic of the Hong Kong films was that we it was just seeing a thing that was so like kind of like recognizable parts, uh, things that will be recognizable of American culture in there, but also just this, you know, entirely different world from what we knew in, in the suburbs of Florida. And, and part of the fun of watching it was hearing, you know, anytime English would be spoken, we would like perk up like, Whoa, somebody, and same with hearing, you know, a recognizable song uh, with, with English lyrics to it. We're like, wow, hey, I, I'm paying attention. I don't have to read a subtitle to know what's happening here. Yeah, it's in hard boiled, the detective tells him, shut the fuck up or something, like the chief does. Yes. And like, yeah. that's, yeah. They, they swear in English, which I always find funny. That I happens a lot in English swear, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that happens a lot in Japanese movies and just in, J- in Japan as a whole. Like, people, I always say, if someone pisses me off in Japan, I'll just swear at them, which I know mm-hmm. is not, like, if they're, if they're real assholes, like, if somebody, right. like, pushes me on the train or something because like i can't tell them that they're rude in in japanese because i forget the words but if i if i say go fuck yourself like <laughs> they get them they, they get the gist mm. <laughs> it's like you know broad stroke but One more thing I want to talk about with this movie is that you can't find it. Like, right. it's, and that, that's kind of a whole thing about, like, we get a little off topic, but close to it. So many of these movies, these fantastic Hong Kong movies, you cannot find or if you can find them they're butchered yeah and like how how did how miramax fucked up all the jackie chan movies yes yeah i mean you know miramax like they've it's i i just recently uh got a blu-ray uh, a new u.s release of drunken master 2 yes. and i had to be sure of like okay this is a new subtitling right or this is certainly not not that uh, you know, if if one smart thing was cut from the end of that movie, it is the very <laughs> end of Drunken Master yeah, 2. Yeah. And that's the only cut I'm cool with. Otherwise, and then or just all the additions of song, all that stuff. But so uh, you know, yeah, the Miramax and its boss um yeah. hacked up so many foreign films. Well, and, no, they hacked up so many Asian films. He never especially. edited uh they never edited European films. That's right. That's but right. Literally yeah. every single Asian. I I tried to write an article back when I was trying to get more freelance work. Like this is this is before me too. So this back when I hated that guy for this shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, I didn't obviously before. Obviously the other stuff's worse. I'm not an idiot. But I did research. Literally every Asian film that Miramax or Weinstein Company released was edited. Even film my concubine. Like all of them. Yeah, which is not like that. That is a prestige film. Like mm-hmm. that is, yeah. No, I mean, 
I yes, there's with with Harvey Weinstein, there are clearly much worse things he did that you can't like it's it feels very silly to complain about these things. But no, I mean back then it was very disappointing to me because I knew like it it was the easiest way to see it. So it's how I saw Iron Monkey, but I knew like, no, this I know he's hacked this up. I know these yeah. songs like the soundtrack and same. I uh, the ones that always shocked me was how he could get away with it with a Jackie Chan film because I really figured Jackie if anybody had this way to say like don't do this don't cut up my movie you can't do this I am this famous I figured he'd have that power but but it he still chopped him up well I feel like he got because Rumble in the Bronx was a hit and that was Rumble in the Bronx is a weird case because there is no version of that film that's not dubbed because that film was filmed and all the audio was dubbed in later. So there are versions where all the English actors are dubbed into Cantonese and versions where all the Cantonese actors are dubbed into English. There's no version. Wow. That, that's, that's kind of a strange case. Um, yeah. But like, I figure after that was a hit, he was like, yeah, sure, fine. Cut up Super Cop. Cut up uh, Police Story 4. Rename it. You know, whatever. If, if it'll get me a hit too. I don't know. I... I do know that this is still a problem. Like, yeah, Drunken Master's available. Drunken Master 2 is available uncut now. That's great. The John Woo and Ringo Lamb movies are not easy to get. And it is infuriating. <laughs> it drives yeah. me crazy. This is available in Hong Kong only. It, that version does have English subtitles. So if you, if you do want it that way, but it's going to cost you a pretty penny. I'm I'm looking up right now just to double check, but I'm pretty sure that City on Fire is not available in in America. So uh, uh, you can it's on um, you can get it on DVD only. Yeah. So so uh, for my uh, looking around just today, I City somebody on YouTube uploaded a City on Fire with fan subs. That well, it's really just like English captions you turn on, but they're not auto generated. They're okay. You know, that's, not, good. that's good. Okay. Uh, so so that is on there, and every now and then I will see like uh, until it got the Criterion release, Police Story mm. uh, for a few years was just like oh, it's just on YouTube. Like whoever has it, it's not taking it down. So I'll just at least in America, and I did find for Full Contact, uh, it is actually. Full contact is sort of kinda on Prime Video. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's on Fandor. Yes. Yes. And that yeah, I don't know what the I, I went to their website, it doesn't work. Yes. And I don't know I'm not gonna pay to use it for one movie. I highly doubt it's HD. No, it's not. I no. uh, so I signed up for a free trial of it just to give it a look and and also just to see what the hell else was on Fandor. And mostly it's just like um, like uh, it's more European or public domain like classics and stuff. Huh. A lot of and then some old cartoons that are sort of in the it seems like it's like a lot of collection of public domain stuff. And then uh, not you would think oh, like, oh, they got full contact. And that's a sign that they've got like a, a rich Asian film collection. Not not so not that many. Yeah, that's weird. I I. I do wonder if maybe Extreme is keeping this from being released again. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe, yeah, I'd... maybe. But like, if I want to, kind of, a, I wanted to talk about this topic for a bit, kind of just to warn people. Like, if you like these movies, 
and you see copies of them, they're probably bad copies. Like there's the copy of the killer and hard boiled that's on Blu-ray by Dragon Dynasty, those suck. Yeah. Those are yeah. garbage. They use I've been warned. They use second generation prints. The subtitles are just the dub track. So it's not actual subtitles. It's the Oof. sub of the dub. The hard boiled one stretches the picture out. Oh, that's terrible. It's terrible. Man. And a few Jack- Jackie Chan's getting a bit better, I think. You're getting more and more, like the police story ones. Those Criterion police story blues are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like that they sourced audio from a Japanese Laserdisc. <laughs> <laughs> that is which, great. Which is hilarious. <laughs> like, sounds like something I would do. Um, but like, there was a good bootleg label that was putting these out. Uh, not this movie, but a lot of other ones. But I, I'm not going to say them. Okay, I will say them. It's Hong Kong Rescue. Don't buy from them because I had to I had to uh, escalate with PayPal to get my copies. Wow. So I will say if you like this movie or if you like if you if you want to revisit Hong Kong movies of the the, especially John Ringo Lamb ones. Yo, this is the Internet. Mm -hmm. No, I can't. I mean, the John Woo ones are the most shocking to me because it's like he is. He's still I I know his, you know, cinematic footprint or or notoriety is not half of what it was 20 years ago like it, at least from an American viewpoint, you know, people would probably say like, "Oh, John Woo, did he ever make movies any after Face Off or whatever or after no, after Face no. Too? <laughs> Yeah. No, but uh but but to let his like the killer at least, Killer and Hard Boiled, <sighs> like those were the two biggest ones in the US that uh, of of his ones made in Hong Kong, that those could go out of print. Like, and it to me, it feels like you know, if Criterion's asking to work with Jackie Chan to release stuff, you have to believe that a company like that wants to do those. It to to me, and and same with Full Contact. To me, it feels like the owners just you know whoever has the rights or maybe it's all tangled up with even who has the rights to sell yeah. it to, to, to licensors. It, it could just be that. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder even if it's an issue, if they can't get a good enough print. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes. Cause like a lot of these movies just look bad and yeah. part of the, I mean, it's, it's something too, that part of the appeal to me back then. And I, and I've even now I've just been saying all the, the dinginess of it is the kind of, uh, you know, informal feel of the, these films of just oh, yeah. like not not amateurish, but just you know not as slick or polished as as uh, even American productions uh, back then in '92. So you know, uh, I unfortunately I think some of those you know rougher edges lead to problems like either of you know oh well we didn't get a contract for this or it's we'd have to go to court to figure out who owns the rights or masters lost or whatever like that that could end up being a side effect of the situation yeah and and there's always rumors that like you know some people who own own these studios might actually be in the triads <laughs> like yes yeah there's yeah. that too but like but that was always part of the fun too of watching him like oh i bet that's a real triad guy on there oh man <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh aside we're wrapping up really quick aside from full contact and kill him and hard boiled are there any of these like maybe lesser known hong kong films you'd recommend to somebody see uh well you know definitely 
the pair of better tomorrows are right up there. Like the, I still feel, even though I think the best like big budget action John Woo did was probably hard boiled, but I think the finale of better tomorrow two is <laughs> my favorite action sequence of any of these movies. And and yeah, City on Fire 2, I just love that. And, you know, I didn't talk up much about Jet Li, but I did. Oh, yeah. Jet Li is like his remake of Fist of Fury, Fist of Legend. Oh, man. One of the greatest. I love that, that so much. Another one you can't find. Like that's, that's out of print. That's so, that's so sad, especially because like it was such an interesting film to watch as a remake too because just generationally what it what it changed from fist of fury about you know chinese japanese relations and and like it was just really interesting of like oh okay you can't fist of fury was just you know obviously was made by people who like literally lived through uh, World War Two, so they had their own feelings. But here, then in the '90s, when they make the remake, uh, it's much more of like, well, you know, not every Japanese character is a monster in, yeah. in yes. Legend. But, yeah, fifth, yeah. But the action in that rules so hard. And oh my god, yeah. And, yeah. and you know, I there was one last thing I wanted to say about Full Contact, oh, which ahead, is why I wanted to pick it. Uh, is is because it sort of has bullet time and oh yeah we, we totally forgot about the fake bullet time yeah yeah go ahead the perspective of the camera behind the bullet of it moving in a, like slow error motion not like so no it's not bullet time as we saw in the matrix like no. that would the, this film didn't have the budget for it or the technology like it, it but but the wachowskis another reason i love the matrix film and and their work is that they clearly came up in the same uh both of them uh the both of them they they both came up in the kind of nerdy fandom that we were part of too and uh they were watching the the Wachowski sisters were watching those films back then too like they had both i'm certain they saw full contact and we're like oh and this and and every john woo movie and this is one of those things like you pick and choose from cool stuff like oh that was cool what if we could like take that to the next level and and the bullet time in this was so crazy to see the first time i saw i saw it before the matrix when i saw the matrix I knew I, my first thought it, <laughs> yeah. when there was a camera behind a bullet or you saw the bullet's trajectory and you follow it. I was like, that's the, that's freaking full contact. Wow. Yeah. Well, my, when I said my senior thesis was about, was about better tomorrow too. My, my, my senior thesis in college was about how the wild bunch influenced the matrix by going to Hong Kong. Yes. And that's it, a great point. The end of A Better Tomorrow 2 is the end of Wild Bunch. Like, it's the same thing. They're going into that place to rescue that guy. And the lobby shootout in The Matrix is that scene. And so, by going, it, like, it's like Wild Bunch went to Hong Kong and came back and made the, and it became The Matrix. Like, that's, so, like, if you like these old movies, if you like modern action, then you owe it to yourself to check out these Hong Kong movies, even if they're impossible to fucking find these days. <laughs> yeah, you you will see. So you know, it was something in the '90s to be able to uh, follow that in real time of being turned on to all these uh, Hong Kong cinema, and then 
by the end of the 90s, see the big budget American films that either hired directly the writers or actors or, in the case of The Matrix, hire uh, Yun Ping and said like okay do we want that action and then even and then once the matrix did it then if somebody ripped that off for another american action film they'd be like oh it's a matrix type movie they're doing wire foo like from the matrix and (laughs) yeah and but you as a hard as a more hardcore fan you knew it's like well you could you could snobbishly say like a video store clerk would say uh, well you know they actually only took that from full contact or from or all the oh what you call wire foo you should watch fist of legend to see yun ping's original work or you should watch the first drunken master because that was his director all those things you could say as a snide uh (laughs) above it all video Mm -hmm. store clerk Yes, you said, uh, if you like The Matrix, you said, really watch Iron Monkey. That is the sentence that I have said. Like, I know I have. But anyway, thanks again for stopping by today, uh, uh, Henry, to talk about this awesome movie. I really appreciate it. C- do you, can you tell people online where they can find your work? Oh, well, of course. Yeah, I mean, uh, follow me on. And, and thank you so much for having me. This has been so fun to talk about uh, Hong Kong cinema, like just a billion billion memories just flying back from from all of these it, it makes me want to re-watch like all of them after after this chat but uh but yes i i'm on twitter at h-e-n-e-r-e-y-g uh you should uh if you enjoyed hearing me talk here you should definitely check out my uh podcast i do with bob Mackey, talking simpsons and what a cartoon where we've talked about uh so many other cult things and uh and then also simpsons history which is kind of really the history of the 1990s into yes, the 2000s, it is. <laughs> uh as viewed through the eyes of the of simpsons maniacs and uh and i swear you know if you ever listen to simpsons commentaries we go like two layers below that and we uh or above it whatever we go beyond that uh, in our in our research and even like interviewing folks who have worked on The Simpsons, many like uh, about twenty something people we've talked to now. And so, uh, but yes, follow those uh, Talking Simpsons. What a cartoon! You'll find them wherever you find podcasts, and we're Patreon supported. And there's tons of cool exclusives there if you'd like to learn more at Patreon.com/slash/TalkingSimpsons. Just before I plug myself even more, I will again plug What a Cartoon. Uh, <laughs> I know it's your job to talk about Talking Simpsons, but I love what a cartoon you did that whole thing. The, the episode about GI Joe was great. Oh, thank you. The Rocky and Bulma Cologne was fantastic. The like, I, like again, you actually talked about um, Savage Dragon and even like as somebody who likes obscure movies, like going into like Jill McBoing Boing, yes. like just weird deep cuts like that. Like I, that's why I like your podcast so much. And that's why I hope what, people should listen to that shit. And, you know, the, find out about this. That, look, look, this you've never heard of it. Fine, still listen to it. It's fascinating. Trust me. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank but, you. Anyway, you can fi- y'all can find me on the internet at Twitter at Lost Turntable and my website LostTurntable.com. My other podcast with uh, Jeremy Parrish and Elliot Long, Alexander's Ragtime Band. We talk about progressive rock music. If that's your thing, you might like that. But until the next episode of Cinema Oblivia, thanks again for listening. Take care.
Acá con 